Today, we're going to be tackling the main topic of education requirements and marketing jobs and whether that matters anymore or not. Hi, I'm Jill Fetcher. And I'm Maggie Humphrey. And you're listening to The Agency Scoop, where we're talking about business from an agency point of view. And our point of view, with some laughs along the way. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in every month for the latest scoop. What's going on with you, Maggie? Really nothing new. I've been enjoying this, these like spurts of warm summer weather we've been having in between the cold weeks, just, you know, typical Rochester and uh, or typical Rochester weather. But um, other than that, nothing new. Uh, the Buffalo office did make its way out to Rochester a few Fridays ago. Um, so we actually, as you know, rented a huge limo bus for all you Buffalo so much folks. Fun. And uh, you traveled out to see our little Rochester office, and it was so much fun. It's just great to get the whole team together and for everyone to see our new office out there. It was so much fun. So, yeah, nothing really new with me other than that. How about you? I got some awesome news recently. I spend a lot of time doing fundraising for the American Cancer Society, as you know, because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> and I don't know if our listeners know, but I, I do a lot of work there volunteering and trying to raise money, make corporate connections. And last year, I had a goal to raise $40,000 by my 40th birthday for the American Cancer Society. And I did not hit my goal, but I raised almost $24,000. Which is still amazing. Which was really cool. And it felt really good. And I recently found out that I was the number two fundraiser for this program in the United States last year. And I missed it by like $1,000. So... Um, so that was disappointing, but it kind of set me on yeah. track for this year that I want to continue that work and see what else I can do. So if any of our listeners have a corporate connection, you want to sponsor something or you just want to donate, um, hit me up because the American Cancer Society does amazing work here and in all of our local communities. Congrats. That's super okay. exciting. So I was really proud of myself. I got a little um, glass trophy, I guess you would say, one of those things that sits on your desk. (laughs) So I'm going to keep going and you can't stop me. Well, what's happening in the news, Maggie? Well, I feel like AI is everywhere. Everyone's talking about it and so many people have different opinions on it. So I wanted to chat about that just to start off today. I recently found an article from Marketing Dive and there was a consumer study survey done by Dentsu and it said that 70% of respondents said brands should disclose when AI is being used. I agree. Which is very interesting. I actually really love using ChatGPT, like from a marketing perspective. I've used it a lot lately. And I'm not saying that it's doing my work for me, but it's giving me a start. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've been doing a lot of content writing um, and of course helping me construct some emails. But from like a content writing perspective, I'll plug something into ChatGPT and it spits something out for me that's a good jumping off point. I'm not going to use it verbatim. I'm going to punch it up. I'm going to add to it and, you know, make it really a good piece. But it's so helpful. But I don't know – I don't know if it's – I guess that you should probably disclose that you're using that as a tool. I agree. I think that brands should disclose when it's being used, especially if it's showing information that may have been 100% generated by AI. So things like when you're chatting and you think it's a customer service agent, if it's not and it is generated by AI or help results, 100% generated, I think they should source that and say that it is that it is written by them. But if you're using it as a tool and then changing things to make it better, make it more human, and you're just starting with that information, I think that that's perfectly valid to not disclose that because 
you don't need to know how the sausage is made, right? 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I've gotten – I've actually gotten resumes submitted that say on the bottom generated by AI. Really? And I don't understand if it's a real person applying that made their resume with AI. I don't know how they're doing it, but they do not get an interview with me when it says it on the bottom because I think that that is – bizarre. How would AI know what your experience is or how to best describe what you've done as a person? And I don't necessarily think it would be like cheating if you typed in all of your qualifications into like ChatGBT and it helped you like format and like punch up your um, bullet points on your resume. I think that's fine, right? It's just a tool at that point. Mm -hmm. But that would definitely be misleading. Um, Interestingly enough, um, a study conducted by Forbes Advisor said 76% of consumers are worried that AI might increase the spread of misinformation about a product, brand, or service. And so I think that there's likelihood of that, especially if you're using BARD. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I, I just... I think things need to be sourced. You know, if you're going to ChatGPT to look up information, if you're studying something and you're asking relevant questions, whatever they spit out for you, you need to include the sources there. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of fact check that. What was interesting as well is the difference between the generations and their take on AI, which I thought was really funny. So millennials and Gen Z show that they're the most enthusiastic about using AI. I think for Gen mm-hmm. Z specifically, like using it in terms of uh, college is probably a way to cheat the system and it's easy for them, but probably not a great tool to use for that. But um, as far as millennials go, speaking for myself, I'm kind of in between the two generations. But like I said, I, I love using it for work. But Boomers are actually only at a 12% uh, favorable for AI, which I kind of get it, but <laughs> I can see that. I, I think that AI will lead to a lot more websites being printed out by my parents and people of their generation <laughs> because I could see them being like, well, I saw this online and I'm going to print it so that when I go to the store, if they tell me it's wrong... I'm going to have it right here, Yeah, you know, or like like there's still the people that print out the directions instead of just trusting your phone that knows the best way to go. They're going to look up the directions and print them out first. So I could see this leading to a lot more of that when brands would say, oh, well, that's not accurate. And Mm -hmm. it was generated by AI. We didn't generate that statement or something to that effect. But I haven't heard of a lot of examples of those types of things happening where they maybe have AI generate content on their website and then people are trying to either redeem for something or tell them that they found this information and they're saying, well, we're not responsible for that. It seems like brands, if they're using AI, are taking responsibility for what that AI is generating, what they're doing. And And that's what you should be doing. Exactly. I mean, like you shouldn't just be blindly following what ChatGBT or BART or whatever you may be using is telling you that's a a really bad idea. Um, But yeah, I think I also saw that there's an increased increased percentage of people preferring to just go straight to chat GBT over using Google. So I've seen a lot of like videos and posts recently about people having to tailor their SEO to be almost like chat GPT friendly. Mm. So I'm interested to see like what direction that goes. And I and I saw this interesting video actually yesterday on TikTok and it was saying how SEO is going away because you're now optimizing for chat GPT. But like the SE and SEO might be changing 
but the O is here to stay. So that's something we just got to keep in mind. Yeah. And we'll see what that acronym comes back as. Um, I just thought of a really good use case for ChatGPT because my four-year-old toddler tyrant is always telling me what songs to play in the car and telling me to ask Siri. But he says things like, ask Siri for a funny song about dogs on the moon. <laughs> and and like Siri doesn't know how to play that on Spotify. No. So I think ChatGPT could help me narrow it down and find those Get songs. Get the app on your phone. Did you... No, I don't. I need I to do it. I download it on my phone. You never know when okay. you need it. So. Well, I will report back next month <laughs> okay. and see if that works. We're going to try it out. The next thing that is in the news and I feel like has been talked about for a long time is four-day work weeks. And AdAge did a great article this past month about four-day work weeks in the U.S. and why they're not being adopted. But there's been a huge test in the U.K. where a ton of companies did this and you know, kind of reported back on what they're seeing. And so in the agency world, it's really hard to imagine shutting down for one day a week that nobody works on Fridays or nobody works on Mondays because our clients always need things. And even though Fridays are typically a lighter day, I always have at least one call with a client or prospect or somebody on a Friday. There's never a Friday that goes by that they don't need something. And so obviously that is one of the things that they said was, you know, clients need us. So we can't be off if the clients aren't off. Um, but some of these other agencies had some creative ways to, to work around it that I thought were cool. So I wanted to talk about um, one of the things was the agency frames it as three-day weekends instead of four-day work week. And so it's more of a perk and a client re- or an employee retention strategy to put it out that way. But they kind of go between some people have off on Mondays, some people have off on Fridays. Um, But other agencies found that that made everyone sandwich all of their meetings from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it just created a lot of havoc trying to remember who was on, who was off, you know, all of those things. Um, But one of of the agencies talked about having um, Fridays off, but still being available if clients need things and having people on call. So rotating who's on call for each client each week. Um, and you still have off, but you're kind of available like if they need you. Email a little bit or something. Yeah. And saying that even in doing that, they were re- able to retain a lot more people during the great resignation and, and keep a lot of people as people were quitting their jobs and not coming back to work or getting other jobs. They were able to retain a lot of people. And they said about 30% of people still logged in and did work on Fridays, but it was on their terms, right. on their time. They can kind of make their own schedule for that day. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And we do um, we do something called First Fridays where the first Friday of every month we go out to lunch and then take the rest of the day off. And we tell people if they don't want to go out to lunch, they don't have to. They can just take the half day. Um, and we have that kind of flexibi- flexibility here. And sometimes we move that day around based on what's going on at the agency. But I think people appreciate that when you have Absolutely. a little bit of extra time that you don't have to spend your PTO yeah. on. What's your take on it? What are your thoughts? Like, um, Four-day work yeah, week? Yeah, I want to know. Maybe I'm old school. I can't imagine doing that, but sometimes I fantasize about having a day off when like my kids are still at school mm-hmm. and like no one else is <laughs> home. So yeah. maybe this is the answer. Yeah. See, I think it could be great. I I just – I with everything that happened with the pandemic, people's minds shifted and people are no longer – Living to work is the saying, right? Yeah. Um, I think people want 
quote, me time these mm-hmm. days. That's important. That's valuable to them. And they're looking for companies that have that value. And it's why I think all these studies have proven out that it's been positive. You know, I think people will work harder in the days that they're in the office. It might cut back burnout too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think normally Fridays are light for everyone anyways. And I mean, Thursdays are some of my busiest days of the week normally. It's usually when I have all my calls. And if I have to sign on on a Friday for a little while just to catch up and get me ready for the next week, I'm fine with that. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. And I just think, of course, corporate America is so like against it for the most part. But I I see positives in it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I always talk about how when I first started my career, the agency that I worked at was very much you were there at eight. You did not leave before five. If you had a doctor's appointment at four o'clock, you took a half day. You had to take your PTO and personal time around those types of things. Mm-hmm. And now the work world is so different where, you know, if I have a dentist appointment at nine in the morning, I just come in at 10 after it's done. Right. Or I leave early and go to an appointment and I I make up my work elsewhere because I'm a responsible adult. So I'm doing my work that needs to be done. And it's not about the hours that you're in the building working. And so we have so much of that flexibility now, which I think in the past 20 years has evolved so much, which is awesome. Um, but I, But I still... To me, I can't wrap my head around if the clients are working five days a week. It would have to be a full cultural shift where everyone's working four days a week. But then Friday just becomes the busiest day of the week to do your appointments and all of those things. (laughs) Yeah, yes and no. I think it definitely depends on who your clients are and what you're doing. I mean, for the most part, I feel like our culture here at Cypress North, we're pretty flexible. You know, we're not micromanagers. We trust people that work with us, which is how it should be. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are situations out there where someone might not have that option, where they have a very demanding client and shifting, making that type of risk would kind of cause a lot of issues. But I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, hey, this is what it is. We work Monday through Thursday and we're not here on Friday. So we'll get back to you on Monday. Like I was just like curious, like what clients would say if we did that. So one other thing that I think was pretty interesting and it was almost a throwaway in the article. They just mentioned it very briefly at the end, but I would love to hear more thoughts on it and what these agencies are doing is the compensation. So if you are trying to get into more of a pay-for-performance model in with your clients, then it doesn't matter how many hours you work, what you're doing. I always try to create scopes of work where it's it's not just based on hours. We're always looking at hours as a measure of if we're profitable or not, like how much time and resources did we put into something. But I love the value-based pricing of saying this is worth X amount to you. And it shouldn't matter if it takes us five hours or 500 hours, this is worth $10,000 or this is worth $100,000 or whatever that looks like. And I think that having more flexible schedules or having that four-day work week really opens that up to more like work when you can and when you need to, to get the job done and we'll pay you for that performance. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the right way to do it, in my opinion. But. Yeah. And I, I don't think that that's something that people normally think of when they think of four-day work week. They think of employee benefits. They think of a, a big perk for working places and retaining people. They think, oh, I could have a three-day weekend every week um, or a day off in the middle of the mm-hmm. week if they wanted, those kinds of things. But 
I think that it really changes how we could price things as an agency as well. And it, it gives you a lot more flexibility and a lot more to talk about in that way. Absolutely. Hey, Maggie, let's give our listeners a peek behind the curtain. You mean like a look into what we're actually doing? Yeah. Okay. Oh, shall we take a look behind the curtain? Sure. So let's talk about what's going on in our real life agency. We have some losses, wins, and things we're testing, doing them in a different order this week, just because it's all kind of one overarching topic, but there's good and bad and a lot of good that came out of it, I should say. So let's talk about our losses first. (laughs) (laughs) So we recently went after a huge RFP, something that's a lot bigger than we would normally pitch for. And at first it was really scary. And we said, let's, but let's try, let's go for it. If not now, then when, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we went for it and that was in itself something that we were not necessarily testing, but just trying something new and really going beyond our comfort zone. And so we went after it. We really dedicate a lot of resources to this pitch, to doing what we thought was right. And what we also did along the way in coming up with a plan of how we would service this business is we built out some capacity. We hired several people. We started training people, knowing that if we didn't get this, we would be able to get other things. Um, and so we really focused on this one thing for, for a few months and, um, worked it really hard, brought on new people, all of that. Um, and unfortunately we did not win, but that being said, we didn't win for the full business, but about a week later they came calling and asking for project quotes for some of the business. So we did win in some ways, but we lost the the bigger piece of business. But the, the good news there is that obviously we did still get some work out of it. And we've built out this capacity for the first time since I've been a part of the agency a little over three years now. We have a lot of breathing room where we we have a chance for our people to focus on results, um, continue to grow their skills and learn provide more to our current clients, you know, going above and beyond. We do all of those things and we fit all of those things in, but we're giving people a little bit of breathing room and giving them the the uh, the opportunity to train some of our newer employees and grow them as well so that we're biz- that we're ready for these new business opportunities, which we have. Yes. You know. Exactly. We've had a lot of and I think it's interesting too because the way the economy is heading, a lot of people are scared and cutting back their marketing budgets, which is true. Like we're seeing that, but we've also seen a lot of new, exciting opportunities coming in as well. So it's not, you know, that's such a great sign for us anyways. And we have the people because we've been building mm-hmm. them up. So a lot of good came out of it. Exactly. And I think we pride ourselves on not necessarily just zigging when everybody else is zagging, but doing something different and going against the grain. And when right now everyone's a little bit scared about the economy, everyone's cutting back. A lot of our clients are cutting staff, they're cutting media budgets, all of those things. But we know that we can come out of this and that we provide so much value to our clients that we continue to staff up for this piece of business, but also knowing that if we didn't get it, we would still be okay with this with this increase in staff, and we are. Um, 
So I think that that's really great. And again, you know, just saying we have a little space and capacity in the marketing team. So if you want a free audit of your ads accounts, if you want to talk to us about how we could help you, you know, we're open. That's our pitch. (laughs) And now it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to get into the main scoop. The main topic today. So higher education and marketing positions. This is something that we talk a lot about internally. I know we've talked about it on the show quite a bit that we have a really robust internship program. And our interns, time after time again, tell us they would never have learned any of the things that they learned here in their classes. And they I was just one don't. of those interns, by the way. <laughs> yes. Way back in the day. Exactly. <laughs> and when I when I interned at an agency 20 years ago, it was very different working in the agency than what I learned in my classes. And it's still the same today. But one of the things that I've been seeing a lot is that a lot of companies are getting behind this movement of eliminating degree requirements, which I think is awesome. We don't have any degree requirements here. We have some people here who don't have degrees um, and it's not a problem. And they have learned their skills through other ways or we've taught them here how to do what we need to do. We look for a certain type of person, not a piece of paper. Exactly. I think that's so important. I found an interesting article too that um, from intelligent.com that 34% of companies eliminated college degree requirements as of February 2023. That's That's, a lot. And for me, I think that's great. Yeah. Because I don't think it necessarily matters. It's all about experience, at least from a marketing perspective. Like I don't want to sit here and say that college doesn't matter at all because there are tons of industries that college education is super important and needed. But I think from mm-hmm. our perspective, the marketing agency, I don't think it's it's necessarily needed. Yeah, I agree. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. There is a billboard campaign in Buffalo right now that I keep seeing on my way to work. It says, tear the paper ceiling. And it's this nonprofit that is going out there, they're partnering with corporations to say, get rid of your graduation requirements. They're creating a job board for people who do not have degrees, but have experience, whether they've moved up through the ranks and into management um, at a different type of job, whether they've done certifications online, whether they're self-taught, whatever that may be. And they're calling them stars and they're saying, hire our stars. And they're saying skilled through alternative routes. So they're, it's 50% of the U.S. workforce that has gained these valuable skills that um, it equates to 70 million people that have done that without getting a bachelor's or a master's degree mm-hmm. of any kind. And so I think that that's really, it's cool that there's this movement towards that because for so long, I mean, my whole life, it's been, you're going to go to college. Yeah, and neither too. of my parents went to college, Yeah, but they were like, you well, have to go to, you have to get answer. good grades. You have to go to college. Yeah. All of you have to go to college. And it's not the only answer and it shouldn't be. And I think the, that the higher education industry is going to see a huge shift in the next decade, I think. They push it too. Like we've had a lot of interns even say like they've pushed that master's program on them and they ended up taking it because, you know, we're not going to tell them what to do. That's not our job. But (laughs) like they've shared with us that they kind of talk them into that five-year master's program or whatever that may look like for them and they push it hard, which is just Mm – Sometimes I get a little like, just because like it's so much money. It's so much money without more value. Yeah, exactly. Like I personally, my college background did not prepare me for the real world. It really didn't. And I know there are a few people here though that 
had the opposite experience. I know Jack, one of our analysts here, was building Looker Studio reports in college, with it, which I think is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I had that. I my marketing classes basically just talked about billboards and like TV ads. It was just nothing applicable, and that's also not really the direction that marketing's going. It's not like. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe your major luxury brands, but that's not the majority of the population in marketing. Like college, they're not going to work in those positions at those companies. They're going towards digital marketing, right? So why wouldn't you give them real life examples or projects and things of that nature to work on? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was extremely frustrating because I was also working throughout college and I was getting that real world experience. I was interning here. And I was getting exposed to all of those facets of digital marketing and then going to class and learning about why billboards are important. So it was very frustrating. And <laughs> but I'm very thankful for the opportunities that I had here because experience was the only thing I had. Yeah. I think a lot of the college experience focuses on project, like you do projects that are not that translatable to the real world unless you have a very specific type of marketing job. But there's so many different types of jobs. Like even when you think about in big um, corporate environments, you have product marketers that are re- literally developing a product and developing what those what those features should be, what the positioning of those will be. And it's not all that promotion. Um, you have people that are pricing strategists and you don't really learn a lot about that in, in college. And that's part of marketing. I think colleges really paint this real world experience by getting students to work for the college. And that seems like a bait and switch a lot of times, to be honest, because they'll say, oh, this will be a great internship. You can work in the career center. So you're in the career center helping people write their resumes, but you're not building your own resume by working in the career center. That's not very transferable, right? Yeah. Um, or they'll give you an internship working in admissions and let you run the college's Instagram page or you know any of those kinds of social media channels which is real experience, but a lot of times they have a lot of boundaries around them. So it's not like you're going to be doing something totally different than what they were already doing or the student before you was putting on there, right? And so a lot of times the colleges try to keep you in there and say, well, we'll give you credit for the internship here in the Career Center, but we won't give you credit for this outside internship. We've actually, I've only had two interns over the past three years out of our, you know, probably 20 that we've had that have gotten credit for their internship here. And we pay our interns, but a lot of times the colleges will say, oh no, that's not directly related to your major. And it's like, how is it not directly related to your major? We're a digital marketing agency and they're a marketing major. Or, you know, they'll say, well, you already had an internship. You can't get credit for another one because they want them to stay that full time and continue to pay them to take their classes. Hot take. They're just trying to make money. Ooh, yes. That's all it is. <laughs> that's what, you know, at the end of the day, that's all they want to do. That's why they push kids into master's programs too when they don't need them. That's, 100%. That's the end. That's the end whole goal there. They just want to make more money. 100%. Sorry, but it's true. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that all master's programs are bad. I do think – I know a lot of people that have gotten a ton of value out of going back to school for an MBA, but I think, in my opinion, it is not very valuable if you do it straight out of school. If you stay for that fifth year and get your MBA, you still have no real working experience unless you have been doing internships the whole time, have things to apply it to. But I think the MBA is much more valuable if you go out, work for five years, and then go back because 
you want to learn more about something specific like supply chain or something like that where they can teach you that. But some of these schools, the MBA, the classes are just as frivolous as the undergrad. Right. And they're just teaching billboards yeah. <laughs> and taglines. <laughs> and so it's really it's it's crazy to see and it's hard to see, especially when so many people come out with so much debt and, and then they're are paying off loans forever. I think I always see like memes and TikToks about uh, kids who are just out of college struggling to get hired because it's like five years uh, experience required at an entry-level position. But I mean, that's what people are interested in the most, right? Like, sorry, but that's why it's negative to just be pushing these kids into master's programs. Let them get real-world experience. At least let them get credits for real internships. Yeah. Like, that's so crazy. Yeah. It's frustrating. One of our interns has <laughs> to finish a couple classes over the summer because they wouldn't give her credits for this internship, which is just criminal. Maybe our call out isn't that college is terrible. It should just be better. Yeah. These colleges <laughs> should do a better job. Yeah. I was a marketing major, but talking to some of our interns here who are also marketing majors are doing way different things than I did in college. And I didn't graduate that long ago. Right. You know, like they're doing real world things in some of their classes. And I, nothing applied. So yeah, something's got to be figured out here. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting too is that when I was in school, all of my professors were career professors. I think I had one that had a real job and he taught one night class and his information was the best because he had real, he was working a real job yeah. where a lot of times um, college professors are trying to get tenure there. They're trying to um, make that their career. But if you have a marketing professor that hasn't been in the field in 20 years, there's, they're not up to date with the latest trends. They're not up to date with what's going on um, and what businesses really need, what challenges businesses are facing. And so that's, that's just a really hard um, a really hard sell. No, you know? it's interesting you say that because I actually had a college professor. It was like one of my senior level marketing classes that I was most eager to take because it seemed very applicable. I was super interested in it. And the professor was a brand new college professor and he was a history major. He'd never worked in marketing, no real world experience at all. So of course, the class is extremely frustrating for me. Yeah. It, like I had struggled to even show up to class because everything that he was teaching was just like not helpful. He, You could tell he just really didn't know what he was teaching. And I don't think you need to have a marketing degree or even a business degree to be great in marketing. We have a ton of folks here at Cypress North that didn't go to school for marketing and are amazing marketers. I just think you need that real world experience. So I think it's just mm -hmm. so weird that there's professors teaching students that have no actual experience in these things. Right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. And all of you know one, don't be that girl. I have a good one today from not a client, but um, a prospective client that came to us for a quote several months ago. And there were a few things that, that I'm not happy with how it turned out. <laughs> it was a small thing. She asked us for a quote. We had a call with her. We did an audit of her Google Ads account, gave her a lot of information, but it said, you know, this is what it would cost. She was like, great, okay. Then was kind of going back and forth with procurement, asked a couple questions, but never really introduced us to anybody else on her team, to procurement, um, to any of that. We didn't really have any visibility to what was going on. It kind of, she was kind of just out there doing her thing. And 
Then we got word from someone in her procurement department that we did not get the business. And they said, but we'd love to offer you feedback if you'd like a call. And of course I said yes, because most people do not give feedback. So that was awesome that they offered that up. And a lot of times when you get feedback, people tell you, oh, they just, they don't want to give it. So they don't give you anything. Well, these people offered it. So I said, sure, let's do a call. I'd love to know if our pricing was too high, if we just didn't have um, enough detail, you know, what, what made that. Yeah, that way we can learn and grow from it and change yeah. the future. And so I scheduled a call with these two people who I'd never met before in their procurement department. And they proceeded to tell me zero feedback, <laughs> zero actionable feedback. They just basically told me that the other agency was very compelling and that's why they hired them. And I said, well, what about them was more compelling what was their pricing different? And they said they were just compelling. They said the word compelling about 20 times and they gave me literally no actionable feedback. And I kept asking questions in different ways and saying, this doesn't really help me in the future for prospecting or how we respond to things or how we write proposals. Could you give me something more actionable? (laughs) And they were like, no. So give proper feedback to everyone, your employees, your vendors, your clients, whoever you got. That's all we had. Yeah. Thanks for coming to the Agency Scoop. We'll see you next time. See ya.